Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. And so I'm, I'm ready to go this morning, but if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. Let's read a few verses together. It says this, now on the first day of the week, resurrection morning, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and she ran, came to Simon Peter and the other disciple, it's John, whom Jesus loved. He threw that in there because he was a humble bragger. And he said to them, they have taken away our Lord from the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. They came and checked it out. Peter and John left, and after they left, verse 11 says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb, and she was weeping. Listen to me. Without a resurrected Lord, the world would have a great excuse to weep. And this is where she's at. She is weeping, and she stooped down. She looked into this dead place, and when she was looking into this dead place, she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet of where Jesus had been laid. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where, where they put him. I want you to know one of the greatest reasons of hopelessness and sadness in the world is when you don't know where God is. Where is he? But it goes on, and and not only does the angels ask the question, but it says this, that when she had said this, she turned around, and Jesus was actually standing there, but she didn't recognize him. She didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, same thing, why are you weeping? Who, Who are you looking for? Let me remind you, theologians watching, Jesus never asks questions for his benefit. He knows the answers to every question before he asks them. When he asked Adam in the garden, Adam, where are you? Jesus did not lose track of Adam's GPS. He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to ask the question, where am I? It was an internal dialogue. What the heck am I doing with my life? Why are you weeping? Mary analyzes, why am I weeping? And her response was, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have let, uh, where they've taken him away. But before that, it says that she supposed, she thought that this guy, Jesus, was the gardener. He was the gardener. And it goes on, and she goes, where did he go? And he says to her, Mary. And the moment she hears her name from God's voice, she knows it's not the gardener. She knows it's Jesus. She goes, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she's excited. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. I've not ascended yet to my father. But go to my brethren. Watch this. Go to my brother. Go where? To my brethren. Who's that? The disciples. And I want you to go to them and let them know that I'm ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came, told the disciples that she had seen the Lord. That she'd what? She'd seen the Lord. Not only that that he had spoken these things to her. So two claims, which I believe Christianity in a nutshell, 101, is people that have actually had an encounter with God, that they've seen something, experienced something that was actually told to them from God. I heard one person say that Christianity at its lowest form, lowest common denominator, is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. I love Mary because she goes, she goes to them and she says, this is what I saw and this is what I heard. My prayer for you today as you tune in the next few minutes is I want to share with you what I've seen, what I've heard, and my prayer is that God would show you his kindness to you the way that he showed his kindness to me. Go to Genesis chapter 2 real fast. One more verse. It says this in verse 15. It says, then the Lord God took Adam that he made. He put Adam that he made in the garden, in the garden, and he put the man in the garden that he formed, and it says that he put him there to tend and to keep it. I want to talk to you today about the rise of new. And my title for you this morning is a new gardener, a new gardener. Are we going to say it another way? How about the new gardener? That's probably a little cleaner. Let's pray this morning. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in the world today. We know that there's a lot of suffering and pain in the world, but we know that the promise of salvation is not that we'd have a life absence of pain and suffering, but that we'd have a God that would navigate pain and suffering with us that would get us not only in storms, but get us out of storms. 
We don't believe that you're the author of the, of the COVID-19, but we do believe that you're the God that's powerful enough to put it to an end. We believe that you're strong enough to kill a virus, that you're powerful enough to, Lord, come out of a grave. And so, Lord, right now we ask in Jesus' name, we join with the countless churches across the world that are praying uh, Second Chronicles over the nation, that, God, that we turn to you, that we look to you, that we're called by your name. We humble ourselves, we pray, and we believe that you will, can, and will heal our land. We thank you for what you're going to do in America, what you're going to do in the world. We believe that the economy is going to rebound. God, we believe that, God, your people are going to rebound. And we believe the church is going to rise with signs and wonders following. We believe that spiritual awakening is occurring. And that, God, we're getting ready to enter into one of the greatest awakenings in modern and recent history. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord, bless the Lakers whenever the NBA starts back up. In Jesus' name. Come on. And all the believers said a good old-fashioned. A, amen, and amen. Thank you so much, Stacy. Man, I love Stacy. She's my favorite. Stacy's been with me since she was in uh, fifth, fifth or sixth grade. I've known Stacy. She's one of the transplants of Idaho that came down with us. But man, I'm excited. It's gonna be a good, good morning. It's Easter Sunday. Fired up. Man, I love Easter. Uh, I, I don't know. I like. I've always been a. I don't know. Call me weird, but I've always been the type of human being that I've always been drawn to new things. I don't know what it is. New things just excite me. New clothes, new phones, new cars. I just like the smell of new. Anybody else like the smell of new? Some of you don't know what anything smells like because of your mask. But there is a thing called smells. And I love the smell of new things. Uh, I, I remember key moments in my life when you experience something that's so fresh, so new, so different. That you almost know, you've been there before, you almost know instantaneously that what you are witnessing, experiencing, tasting, or touching is going to affect the way that you see everything from that moment onward. I can think of the first time I saw a flip phone, hello, that actually had color inside of it. No longer just the Nokia brick that was bulletproof, waterproof, and a boomerang. I remember flip phones, the very first time I saw a flip phone that had color inside of it, I thought, my gosh, this thing is capable of, of pixelated images and low-caliber pictures. And I thought, man, this is going to change the game. I'll never forget, man, the first time I, I had a FaceTime conversation. I'm like, this is amazing. I can travel. I was in Australia, and I'm talking to my little babies in America having a face-to-face -face conversation. I knew that FaceTime would change my life from that moment onward. I'll never forget my wife, uh, in the early 2000s, she bought a Volkswagen Beetle, true story, and the incentive for the Beetle was, is they gave her a, a first-generation iPod. I'm like, what is this thing? You, the, you literally had to plug the iPad into a white wire that went into the cassette tape. Who knows what I'm talking about? All the young people are like, Google it, check it out later. But I'll never forget, she got this brick iPod that was 400 pounds, you could use it as a dumbbell or play your music from it. And I'll never forget that iPod changed the game. But I'll be honest, before the iPod, before the MacBook Air that fit in a manila envelope, before colored cell phones, and before the internet and email, I remember walking into my living room, and I knew when I walked in, and I saw my brothers with a little gray box with a black cord in front of the TV with an orange gun pointing it at the screen and shooting ducks as they flew by. That the Atari Pac-Man and our man Pong, whatever the game Pong was, I'm telling you, I knew that Pac-Man and his pellets were a thing of the past, that Duck Hunt was here to stay. It was a defining watershed moment, something so new, so different, so technologically savvy that it was going to affect the way of my life from that moment forward. That's the Nintendo did for me, Super Mario. Changed my life. And I'm telling you, there's moments in your life that you know they're so new, so fresh, so different that you know from that moment onward, you can't look back to how it used to be. So many people during Easter, and I'm going to just talk for all my friends right now that maybe you're like, I don't like the Bible, I don't believe in God, I think the church is crazy and Christianity is fake, and I think a lot of people, I'll be honest, they have an, they have an elementary view of the Bible 
because they were taught Bible stories but never taught the story of the Bible. Many people know fragments of the internals, but they don't know the totality of the whole. And you have to see the body of work to appreciate the individual pieces of work. And I love the fact that, you know, John comes on the scene and he documents with the other three writers of the Gospels about the most uh, eventful moment in history. Some people say, Mark, was Christianity a byproduct of the Bible? No, Christianity is a byproduct of an event called the resurrection. You see, 2,000 years ago, A.D. 30, 33, somewhere in that window, something happened that had never happened before that would actually change the landscape of the religious world. That a guy would come out of a grave after three days of being buried in a tomb, and after he comes back to life, he would actually be seen visibly for 40 days by over 500 people, including his, his top 12 they're not the perfect 12. They're actually the dirty dozen. Come on. And these dirty dozen young, young men actually would witness and walk with Jesus, eat a meal with Jesus, and follow him. And they would get a message from God that would go back to the origins of the meaning of the Bible that basically does two things. If I could, if I could summarize a, a large theological idea quickly, is that in the very beginning of the Bible, two chapters in, Humanity has an idea and identity from God that's lost in chapter 3. Chapter 3, the first family of the Bible, Adam and Eve, they actually eat some fruit. It was Macintosh. Kidding. And they eat this fruit in a garden that they were actually in to tend and to keep. And I want to just say this to you. Many times the devil tries to actually get you to do things you're not supposed to do in places that you're supposed to have authority in. Because whenever you eat what you don't supposed to eat, what you're not supposed to touch, in areas that God puts you in, what happens is you actually end up hiding in the areas you're supposed to rule in. And many people today are hiding in areas that God is actually asking them to rule and to lead in. Some of you are watching right now, and God's called you to lead people out of addiction, but you're hiding in it right now. And I want you to know that's what, that's what giving in to the fallen nature does, is it actually opens up a window to go into a place that God's made you for, but to hide in it instead of ruling it. And I love this because in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God puts Adam in a garden to be the original green thumb. And he's a gardener. And he's in this garden, and incidentally, his temptation is a tree in the garden. And humanity's probably largest mistake was demonstrated in a man who had free will that actually could have chose whatever he wanted to choose, but he listens, him and his wife make a decision, and he eats of a tree in a garden that creates the largest backdrop of sin in history. And because of one man's free will, sinful choice, all of us were built, and all of us were not built, but I should say born, into a nature like his. And it's interesting because you would fast forward several thousand years, and what you would find is, is a story that we're celebrating today called Easter about a guy who, according to John chapter 19, was actually crucified on a cross next to a garden. And he was buried in a garden. And on the third day, he came out of a garden. And before he was placed in the tomb in the garden, he actually hung on a tree called a cross. The Bible says in Colossians, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So what do you know about this? I know, if you're, if you're following me today, that humanity's low condition is a byproduct of one man's free will decision to make a bad decision and to eat of a tree in a garden. And we see John's trying to give us a story of redemption that 2,000 years, come on, in, in, uh, 2,000 years ago, there was one guy who had free will that would actually go to a tree, go to a cross, and not die for his mistakes or his sins, but for everybody else's. And in one moment, the original gardener screwed everything up in a garden with a tree, and in another separate moment, on Good Friday, a, another gardener would come on the scene. And this new gardener would actually walk onto the set and actually say, you know what? My obedience, my right living, my righteous life would actually pay for the stupidity, the foolishness, the depravity of everyone that's been suffering from the condition of the original gardener. You see, God comes on the scene as the second gardener in John chapter 20. Mary goes, are you the gardener? He's like, I'm not the gardener. Well, okay, I'm not, but I am. 
I'm the one that's going to redeem the condition that Adam lost. You see, the story of the Bible is, is that God made a promise not only uh, to, to the original family, but God actually would come several, thou- several thousand years later to a guy named Abraham in 2060-ish B.C. And actually, at 99 years of age, he would tell him, guess what? I know you were trying to get pregnant right now. I know that you believe that, you know, you, you, you've been, you came out of a pagan lifestyle and a dark family and a dysfunctional past. But God makes a promise, watch me now, to a guy who's 99 years old with no kids and says, you know what's going to happen? I'm actually going to use you. I'm going to raise up a new nation. And through you, Abraham, all, not some, all, not one, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But we see that through Moses, there's one nation that rises up. And through Moses, we see there's, or, or sorry, we have, we, have, we have down Abraham's line, God raises up 12, 12 tribes, 12 patriarchs. And we fast forward that Moses at Mount Sinai, stay with me, Exodus, you can read this, chapter 19 through 24, is given not 10 commandments, but probably 618 commandments. We call it the law. And it's interesting because this law would actually basically tie down God's relationship with one nation, one people group, and one group of people that follow his mandates. But the issue with it was is that God would actually come again to fulfill the promise that he made to a 99-year-old barren couple that he would become a nation that would bless not Israel but would bless the, the world. You see, Jesus came on the, sca- on the scene for an all-skate, all-nation, not one nation, but an international vision, international mandate, because God's desire, according to John 3, 16, is God does not love some, but he loves all the world. And I believe that he comes on the scene in the form of a gardener, a gardener. What does this new gardener offer that no one had offered pr- prior to this? It's a great question. Thank you for asking it. And uh, it's great that we can dialogue like this. But I want you to know this new gardener comes on the scene. And if you're taking notes, I just have seven simple ideas today that I believe that Jesus actually recovers, redeems, and kind of reveals through the person of Jesus as the new gardener that we see here in John. Number one is we see that this new gardener comes on the scene. And the first thing we know about the new gardener after the resurrection is, is that he lives. He lives. Some people say, well, Mark, is Christianity a byproduct of the Bible? No, it's, it's a byproduct of an event called the resurrection. Jesus came out of the grave. People documented it. They wrote stories about it. Most of the literature was lost. Most of it was distributed. People were persecuted. People were murdered. People, there was opposition, resistance. The two groups that hated Jesus the most was the self-righteous co- corridor of humanity and those in the f- political and the financial sphere that were benefited by the relationship of the Jewish temple and the empire of Rome. And what we see is, is that, that there's opposition to Jesus. It actually says, I think it's John chapter 11, that the, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees said, if we don't kill this guy, the entire world is going to believe in him. There is something irresistible in Jesus that the church has lost today. I'm telling you that I believe when people hear the message of who Jesus really is, it's like a mag- magnetic gravitational pull that you cannot avoid. I heard one lady that was in China that was exposed to a pastor that I respect and I follow, and he tells a story about how he's in this area in China, and, the, and this lady says, I recognize your voice. Are you a pastor? And he goes, yeah. She goes, I listen to your teachings. He's like, oh my God, it's crazy. And literally after this, she goes, she says this, she goes, um, can I ask you another question? She goes, I, I, I listened to your message. I believe in Jesus. And she goes, I went from living an empty life that was fearful to living a full life that's grateful. And it's interesting. She said, I started going to a Bible study in my town, but she said, there's no churches. There's no churches in my village. So I have to, I have to drive two hours to go to a church on a bus to get to it, and she, she says, but I, I go as much as I can, but I don't know anybody there, um, but I still go because it's, it's, you know, it, but it's all underground, and then she says, in front of her boss, she says, can I ask him one more question, and the boss said, yeah, and this, this young girl from China, she says, she says, pastor, why doesn't everyone in America go to church, wow. Wow. 
And that question, it rocked me to my core. Because, you see, when Jesus walked the earth, people that were nothing like Jesus were unbelievably drawn to him. And it's interesting today that people that are nothing like Jesus, that not only were they drawn to him, but he was drawn to them. And today you see there's like this religious sector in, in, in the world that you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way to actually fit in. We made it harder to go to church than we did to get to heaven. And I want you to know that God's desire is, is to make it easy for people to turn to him. James in the book of Acts, after the Jerusalem council says, hey, we got to make it, we got to make it uh, less difficult for people to turn to God. I, I believe if you're watching this, God wants you to know it's not about rules and regulations. The new gardener came to make it less difficult to come into the presence of God. And you're watching right now, and I'm telling you, your heart's starting to speed up because God right now is he's singling you out. He wants you to know, my life is messed up. My life is broken. My life is dirty. Good news. Gardeners do their greatest work with dirt. My life stinks. My life smells. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm blank. I want you to know that fertilizer is made out of manure. Hello, somebody. And gardeners' favorite things that they use, they select to grow their most valuable, precious fruit is usually always connected to smelly dirt. And you're watching this right now. I got good news for you that Jesus is a gardener that can actually use the dirtiest of the dirt to produce some of the greatest fruit. The Bible says that God chooses those that no one else will choose. He chooses the foolish of the world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak people of the world to confound the mighty. God is not looking for rogue scholars. He's looking for willing vessels. And you're here right now, you're watching this, and God is, he's pointing at you. I just see him looking at you, and he's, he wants me to convey to you that, look, he is a gardener that specializes in redeeming dirt. He's going to redeem the dirt in your life. He'll redeem divorces. He'll redeem, man, I'm telling you, lost, lost, uh, lost, lost moments of time, family members, tragedy, heartache, business problems, bankruptcy. Listen, we serve a God that can redeem the worst dirt ever to make some of his most beautiful trees. I believe that he's a God that brings beauty out of the ashes. So he's a gardener that, listen, he lives. John says it this way. John says in John 14, verse 9, it says, because he lives, actually Jesus says, because I live, you will live. There's something that's connected to the life and existence of the resurrected Jesus that gives us a confidence to live this life with authority. I'm not living as a, as a lone ranger. I'm not living as a Rambo Christian trying to beat my chest and fight my own battle through the life that I'm living. We serve a God that's still alive. We serve a God that still hears. Some say, well, Mark, what's so special about Jesus than all other religious figures? He came out of his grave. And if he comes out of a grave, he still listens. And if he came out of the grave, he still sees. And if he came out of the grave, he still sits at the right hand of the throne of God, praying for all of you by name. He lives, so if he lives, I can live. And some of you that are suicidal today, some of you that don't think there's any reason to keep on going, listen to me. Because he lives, you can live. And if he has the power to come out of the grave, he has power to get you out of your grave, out of your depression, out of your anxiety, out of your hopelessness. Listen, if he can get out of the grave, he can get you out of the grave. Why were his early disciples so possessed to be willing to be burned alive, to be crucified upside down? Why was the early church willing to be thrown into the den of lions and literally eaten alive, but they would not deny the existence of their follower, of their, of their, of their founder? Why? Listen, people don't die for lies, but they'll die for the truth. And I believe the only reason that his followers were willing to be boiled in oil and, and, and face torture and, and scourgings and all of these horrific tortures and not recant or not deny Jesus is because they knew that if Jesus could get out of his grave, that if they didn't deny him, that they would get out of their grave. Well, the Bible is just a fake. It's a manufactured book. Listen to me. If the Bible was a manufactured book, number one, in the ancient world, women were not respected. So you do not make women the heroes of the literature. If you're writing a fictitious book, why would you make an ex-demon-possessed 
Not only with one demon, seven demons. Why would you make her the apostle to the apostles, meaning she was the first one to ever preach the gospel? Jesus was the one that mandated Mary Magdalene, hey, I want you to go tell all the apostles that I'm alive, that you saw me, and that you heard me. Listen, fake books manufactured in ancient times do not use women as the primary witnesses. They couldn't even, they could not even testify in the court of law. Why would authors like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why would they say, oh yeah, and the ministry of Jesus was supported by women? And the first person to see him alive after the dead was a woman. Number one, you don't do that. Can I get a good amen for that? You don't make women the heroes of a story that's fictitious. I could go on with these, these, these points. You don't make the brother of Jesus, the, the brother of Jesus, he would never believe. Listen, brothers don't believe brothers are saviors of the world. James spent his entire life denying the fact that Jesus, yeah, he might be pretty put together and not make mistakes and always have his room clean, but this guy, he can't be God. But we find that after the resurrection, James not only believes in him, but would go on to become one of the foundational instruments in the early church. Not only would James, but how about a guy named Saul of Tarsus, about 10 years after the resurrection, would have his own, uh, would have his own experience with Jesus. I think the reason why Jesus had to get a hold of Paul was because the 12, or excuse me, the 11, the 120 that he told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to, they were all hanging out in Jerusalem. They didn't want to leave. They thought that God was still only for for Moses' people, that God was only for Abraham's people. But I want you to know that he brought Paul onto the scene who understand not only the law, but understood that God is a God of nations. And he actually sent Paul all over the known world. And Paul and Barnabas were the ones that opened up the church to realize that there's other people other than Jews that God is passionate about. Cornelius would actually have an encounter. Peter would actually have a voice from heaven that says, rise. What? Rise. Kill and eat. And we see in this story that Peter is, because of his obedience, 20 years after the resurrection, that finally this racism is broken off and that God is no longer just going after one nation, but the nations of the earth. God made a way through the resurrection, not just for one people group to have access to him, but for all humanity to have access to Jesus. This new gardener comes on the scene, and he wants you to know that, number one, he lives. Number two, this new gardener doesn't just live. This new gardener actually forgives. He forgives. What do you mean? No one else in history has a God that came on their behalf to actually live perfect, but to die for imperfect human beings. No other deity comes in in the stead, in the place, basically pinch hits, substitutes. Hey, I'll run the bases for you, I'll bat for you, I'll score for you, but you get the victory. No other deity ever offers such a thing. No other deity ever says, hey, I want you to be made in my image, with my dignity. I want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want the golden rule. In the ancient world, everyone was plundering, enslaving. Everyone was after taking over more lands and more properties. And Christianity is birthed with this notion and this idea, unlike any other world religion, that we're actually made in the image of God. Therefore, we're supposed to love one Another. This, listen, that sounds normal for today, but in the ancient world, this was a mind-boggling concept. And if I was a female, I would especially get excited because Jesus comes on, and in history, the first religious ancient, ancient, ancient deity that would come on the scene and empower females to actually be used by him, to know him, and to do great things in life beyond produce kids. There's something about Jesus that he empowers women. I don't know who you are, but I want you to know this, that he comes on the scene and says, look, I'm going to die, I'm going to live perfect, but I'm going to die, and I'm going to pay for, in my death, all of your shortcomings. One scholar said it this way, that Jesus was treated like humanity so that God could treat humanity like he wanted to treat Jesus. He dies in our place, a substitutionary death. 
and maybe you're a Jewish brother or sister, we love you. And I want you to know we love Jews, we love Jerusalem. And if you're watching right now, I would encourage you, read Isaiah 53. That is talking about Jesus. Isaiah, in your scriptures, in the Jewish context, he, he foreshadows and prophesies about a Savior that would come 600 years later. And it's, it's, it's just, it's an eerie verse without Jesus. But as you read Isaiah 53 with Jesus in mind, it's like, how in the world can we not see and believe that God write, writes an ample biography on the life of someone that's not born yet? Can you imagine a book that was written 600 years, 600 years ago, that forecasted two world wars, that forecasted an atom bomb, the assassination of JFK and, and Martin Luther King Jr., that talked about the, the collapse, the Great Recession, the Great Depression, that actually talked about COVID-19 in 2020. What would you think about a book that was written 600 years ago that detailed events that would happen 600 years later? Would you trust it? Would you believe in it? Would you, would you see validation that there could be something with God connected to this book? That is exactly what we see in the Old Testament. Because 600 years before Jesus comes, an ample biography is written about his life. That he'd be born of a virgin. That he'd be born in Nazareth. That he would, he would actually, like, uh, or he'd be born in Bethlehem. He would, he'd be raised. And all these things. All these prophecies about who he would be, where he would die, how he would die, that they would actually cast lots for his clothing, that a crown of thorns would be upon his head, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that he would be chastised for our peace, that, that our peace would be upon him, and by his stripes we would be, I gotta settle down, I'm getting tired, but I want you to know this new gardener comes on the scene and he forgives. I want you to know that you can never do enough good deeds to earn God's love. But Jesus already has. And we no longer get to God by a completion of a deed. We get to God by a confession of a need. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your life. And if you're here and you're watching this right now, God wants to, number one, he, number two, wants you to know that he, this new gardener, he offers forgiveness. He, 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 he lives. He forgives. How about this? He fulfills. He fulfills Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law. I didn't come to destroy it. But you know what I came to do? I came to fulfill it. I want you to know that one of the commonalities of the early church was, is they realized, it's funny, they finally spoke out loud what everybody thought internally. When the Gentiles started coming to faith, 20 years after the resurrection, they had a conversation in Jerusalem and they said, hey, this is very difficult to actually fulfill the entirety of the law. And the brother of Jesus, James, says, let's not make it difficult, and basically gives them big, a big four things to do. And listen to me, he gives them four things about not drinking blood, you know, offered strangled animals, and uh, sexual immorality, and he doesn't give them the law. Basically, he doesn't give them something to do to, to, to fulfill the law. He gives them something to do to keep peace between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And that's a little deeper than I need to go on Sunday morning. But I want you to know this, is that God came. He sent a new gardener to basically fulfill everything that was unfulfilled in the law. You read about the Last Supper, and you notice that there's not, you don't hear any mention of a lamb. But there is a lamb in the room, but it's Jesus. Jesus would be the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb. No longer would high priest sacrifice an animal once a year and pray that, man, God would receive the offering. But once and for all, one lamb would come and fulfill all of the requirements of the law so that humanity could enter into the Holy of Holies, not once a year, but every day. And that is exactly why on Good Friday, when he died on the cross, he said, it is... Why did he say it was finished? What was finished? The requirements of the law. And we know it was finished because the only people that had access into the holy of holies behind the veil were those that completed the deeds of the law. And so when he says it is finished, the veil rips from the top to the bottom. No longer is the presence locked in. It's released to anyone who wants access to it by faith. It is a, it is, listen, it is a fulfilled, this gardener fulfills what was written thousands of years before. And we see here that not only does the new gardener fulfill, he loves. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he, God so loved the church, God, no, God so loved the, the world that he gave. I want you to know that God, listen, love is not something that he gives 
or does, which he does, which is confusing. <laughs> but what I was trying to say is, is that love is something that God is. My problem with many, many people in the world today at times is we are so quick as, a hu- hu- as humanity to give God all of the credit when things are going bad. Earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, diseases, airborne viruses must be God. How could you, God? How could you? But I want you to know, I find it, I find it so strange that we're quick to give him credit for the negative, but we are so slow to acknowledge God when you get a raise, to acknowledge God when the economy is going well, to acknowledge God that your baby was born with 10 fingers and 10 toes, to acknowledge God that he actually allowed you to get pregnant. To acknowledge, are you hearing me? I, I want you to know that God, listen, it says every good and every perfect thing comes down from above. You know where good things in your life came from? They came from God. Why? Because God isn't something, he's not just doing love, he is love. I want you to know that what's happening in the world, God's hand is in it, but his heart is not behind it. Because God is love. And God is going to bring beauty out of the ashes because he is a loving God. Some of you think that you can't know God because you think he's mad at you. I want you to know that every bad thing you've ever done in your entire life actually went on the back of his son. On the back of his son. Some people say, Mark, I can't believe in God because there's suffering in the world. Listen, God never promised that there would not be suffering in the world. Suffering and pain does not prove the non-existence of God. It just proves that the non-existence of a little G God that promises there's no pain and suffering in the world. We don't believe in that God. We believe in a God that, yeah, there might be things that he allows to happen in the world. But I want you to know that heaven is our home. He never promised that we would live in a perfect life in this life. But he did promise that we could pull some of heaven into this world, even if it's not heaven all the time. People say, where's God in this tragedy? Where's God? If he's loving, where's his love in suffering? Where's his love in pain? Where's his love in injustice? You know where God is? God is in the doctor's heart right now that's risking his life to actually treat people that are in hospitals right now. Where's God right now? He's, he's actually right now in the grocery clerk that's going to work every day when he could call in sick because he wants to keep on helping serve and be a part of blessing people in the community. And he's risking his life, risking her life. Where is God? God is, God is the one that's responding in, in people's hearts to give generously to mass that we're donating to hospitals. Where is God? God is, he's seen in buying groceries for elderly people and giving sacrificially to people that are in need. Where is God? God is in the hearts of his people. He's moving all over the earth right now. And God isn't just there. Where's God when my son dies? I'll tell you where he is. He's in the same place that he was when his son died. He's actually getting ready to give you the same comfort that he gave himself when he gave up his only son on the cross. I want you to know that Christianity is not a promise of a painless life. It's a promise of a of a God that would be with you regardless of the highs and the lows that would ultimately, when it's all said and done, lead you into greener, greener pastures. The truth is you can die in faith. Not everyone that we pray for gets healed on this side of eternity. But everyone that has faith can die, live in faith, and die in faith. And the truth is, whether you live for 80 years or you live for eight, the truth is, is that God win. We win no matter what, when we live believing in Jesus. Because I don't care whether you live 100 years or 150 years, any number in eternity divided is zero. Because eternity lasts forever. Wow, that was powerful. But I want you to know that people obsess over the appetizer called earth, and they forget about the main course and the dessert called heaven. Don't judge God's menu based upon the appetizer. That's what many people do. I never judge a movie's totality in the first two minutes of the movie. you got to watch it all play out and watch the credits before you decide on it. And I believe that many of you watching right now, maybe the first five years of your life, 10 years of your life, 20 years of your life, 30 years of your life were awful. What if your whole life was awful? i got good news for you. that There's still a perfect life waiting for you on the other side. But all you have to do is you have to receive the forgiveness of the new gardener.
See, Jesus came not only to forgive, he came to fulfill and he came to love. And beyond that, I'm almost finished, he promises that he'll actually fill us. You see, the new gardener comes to fill. Fill with what? I think so many believers today, they're forgiven by God, but they've never been filled with his spirit. And you know that you haven't been filled with spirit because you can't overcome and you can't rise above the DNA that was handed to you at birth. See, to be an atheist is to be a slave of your DNA. But I want you to know that the moment you believe in a new king and you accept a new father, that you now have access by faith to a new bloodline. And this bloodline does not have alcoholism in it. It doesn't have pornography addiction in it. This new bloodline does not have sickness and viruses and heart disease. There is a new bloodline that we access by faith called the blood of Jesus Christ. And when his blood washes over you, friends, I'm telling you, he'll actually give you access to this thing called the Holy Spirit. Many Christians believe in the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, but they don't believe in the spirit of Jesus. And I want you to know that I boldly stand on this platform, and I'll tell you this, that you'll never live like Jesus on the earth without the spirit that Jesus lived on the earth with. The Holy Spirit. How do you access it? Paul writes to the Ephesians church, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit from the Father, he'll give it to you. It says that after his resurrection, he breathed on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to invite you, friends, if you've been forgiven by God, maybe today you're going to get right with Jesus. If you want to receive his Spirit, we're going to pray right now, and I believe that God's going to fill you up. You can, you'll never paint like Michelangelo without the Spirit of Michelangelo. You'll never write songs like Mozart without the Spirit of Mozart. Are you following me? You'll never sculpt, 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 <laughs> like sculptors, famous ones, without the, without the spirit of those famous sculptors. And I want you, you never live like Jesus. You never talk like Jesus. You never think like Jesus. You never burn like Jesus. You never live invigorated like Jesus. You never live with eternity in mind like Jesus. You'll never pray things like this, but not my will. Nonetheless, your will. You don't do this without the spirit of Jesus in you. He wants to fill you today. I'm going to land the plane. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. You're watching this. Man, this is, this is new territory for all of us. But I, wanna, I don't care if there's 10 people in your living room or just you. I want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would fill that place right now. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you were a gift from the second gardener. I thank you that what was lost in Adam was redeemed in Jesus. And I thank you that as one man in a garden participated in a tree, willful disobedience, willful sin that affected all of humanity, we thank you that equally, greater than, at this event called Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of a God that actually in a garden came out of a grave after he was hung on a tree with willful obedience that provided righteousness for all of humanity that would believe in him. I ask right now that this new gardener, that Holy Spirit, right now access Jesus' forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace that would bring life to the depressed, that would bring life to the suicidal, that right now those that have been contemplating suicide, thinking about how they would end it, I pray right now that because he lives, you will live. I pray right now that you would break the back. I don't care if you're high right now. I don't care if you're like just completely intoxicated. If you are completely out of your mind right now with something, I pray in Jesus' name you would get sober. I pray in Jesus' name that you would realize that God made you, that you're not an accident, that God is not a figment of your imagination, that God is not done with you, through with you, that right now God with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm would mark your life. I pray in Jesus' name that you would realize that God knew you from the beginning that God will redeem the rest of your story. I pray today that the, this would be the end of the old season of addiction. It'd be the end of an old season of drug abuse, of substance abuse, of alcoholism, of sexual perversion. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that you will not die. But I pray because he lives, you will live. And I pray that the forgiveness of heaven right now, what Jesus came to give, Right now, I pray that by faith, something would well up inside of you and realize Jesus didn't die for his bad life. 
He died for our bad lives. And we now have access to what belonged to him. If you're watching right now, if you're on our website specifically, you can actually get prayer by in the comment section. If you're actually watching online and you want to rededicate your life right now, listen to me. God is going to do something new. Would you do me a favor as you're watching right now? Would you just boldly in, in, in faith, would you write down what you're believing that God is going to do something new in? Right now, God is going to do something new in my mind. Write it. By faith, come on, right now, God is going to do something new in my marriage. He's going to do something new in my business. He's going to do something new with my gifts. He's going to do something new with opportunities. There is newness rising in my life right now. I declare it over you. There is new forgiveness. There's new mercies. And there's a new grace coming into your life to get free from the old way of thinking and living in Jesus' name. The most powerful message the world needs to hear is, is Jesus saves. And that Jesus died to give him access to him. But the second most important message is probably this, is that God can renew your mind through this book. That his spirit can make you like Jesus. I'm praying right now that forgiveness would flow. That God would actually fulfill things that are incomplete in your life. That his love would overtake you. And watch this right now, that God in Jesus' name would begin to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Would you put your hand on your heart wherever you're watching? I know we're going a little bit longer than usual, but I feel something on this, this Resurrection Super Bowl Sunday. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that whether it's cancer, I pray whether it's COVID-19, I pray whether it's a, a blind eye, a deaf ear, I pray if it's a malignant tumor, I pray if it's a, a blood disease, a blood clot, I pray, Lord, for stigmatisms. I pray, Lord, for people that have uh, preliminary stages of Alzheimer's, and I, I pray, Lord, for those that have Parkinson's disease. I, I pray in Jesus Christ's name that on this Easter Resurrection Sunday, that power would flow into living rooms, cell phones, through the cell phones, and that you would begin to touch people and heal people all over the world. I don't care if you're in Syria. I don't care if you're watching this. We have people watching in uh, Australia, in Austria. We have people watching in Brazil. I don't care where you're watching, friend. In Jesus Christ's name, we access by faith what Jesus died to give us. We pray healing. I pray that you would not die. I pray that you would live to declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. If you feel God healing you right now, just would, you, would you type it out right now on that thread? Would you say, God's healing my ear right now? God's healing my back. There's someone that got in a car accident. You had like, like your T6 or T7. What, I feel like God, God's healing your back right now. Close your eyes. That's real. Where are you pulling this stuff from? I'm telling you, I, I, the Bible says that, that we know, my sheep know my voice. It's not weird to hear God's voice. It's weird to claim to be a Christian and not hear his voice. That's unusual. So, Lord, I pray right now you'd heal people all over the world. All over the world. I pray, Lord, if the guy that has, man, just got diagnosed with cancer, I pray you'd heal him. I pray for the couple that's trying to get pregnant. I pray this would be the year. I pray this would be the summer. I pray, Lord, for the, for, the, for the child that has a learning disability. I pray that you would touch their mind. Yeah, I thank you that God, high-functioning autism, you'd heal it. Low-functioning, I pray that God, autism, autism you would heal. I pray for people with learning disabilities. I pray in Jesus' name, God, you can heal. You can touch a mind. I pray you would do it right now. I feel you. I sent you, Holy Spirit. So I pray right now as we close, if you need to rededicate your life to God, you've been living for yourself, you know how that, you know how that turns out. Or you're here and you're watching, you've never believed in God. But there's something that's kept you watching. And God is knocking at the door of your heart. And you say, Mark, today's the day. Today's the day. Easter 2020. In a, in a year that's been so, so negative, the most positive thing in your life is going to happen. I saw a funny emoji or, or funny, um, I saw a funny meme that had a picture of a slide that was metal that was a cheese grater. And it says 2020. But I'm telling you that a year that, that feels like a slide that's made out of a cheese grazer, grater, I believe God was going to make some cheese to come on to make some tacos. And there's going to be some good things that come out of this cheese grater year in Jesus' name. So I pray redemptive power to pull you up out of the ashes. I pray as your pastor, if this is your church, that in Jesus' mighty name, that God would redeem the famine, redeem the plague, redeem the sickness, and redeem the opposition that's tried to drag you down. You're going to rise. Newness 
in life in Jesus' name. You want to pray with me right now all over the world, wherever you are. If you want Jesus to come into your life, do me, do, 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 do me two favors. Number one, I want you to just comment right now and just say, that's me. If you want to rededicate your life, just say, that's me. You can, you can write it right now. That's me. Don't be embarrassed by this. Listen, if you, won't, if you won't confess Jesus in front of other people, you will never, uh, if you won't confess him in front of Christian people on a, on a Facebook or on a church website, you're never going to tell your non-believing friends that you believe in God. And Jesus said, if you're, if you're embarrassed of me, it says when you get to heaven, God's going to be embarrassed of you. I don't want God to be embarrassed of me. So I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say, I'm getting right. I, I'm in. Actually, if you want to rededicate, just say, I'm in. Or whatever I told you before, I'm in. And if you never believed in God, I want you to pray this prayer also, but I want you to type this out first time. If you've never believed, but God is knocking right now on the door of your heart, I just want you to write first time, and I want everyone watching to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, to heal me, and to redeem me. I believe that you came out of the grave and because you live I'll live would you lead me guide me heal me and fill me with your Holy Spirit from this day forward in Jesus mighty name I believe you prayed that prayer you can say amen let it be so and I believe you became a follower of Jesus I'm telling you right now if you prayed that prayer if you don't have a Bible go on your phone download the Bible app it's free you can go on BibleGateway.com, and you can read it, uh, Bible on your, on your computer. If, if you come to our church when this is over, and you can come physically, we'll give you a Bible for free. If you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you. Our small groups are starting this week. Check on our groups on our website. And this week, if you go on our website, you can actually click on Growth Tracks. All of our Growth Tracks, which is really the gateway into our specific community, will be online. You can do that anywhere in the world. You can watch our Growth Tracks. I believe that God is for you. The best days of your life are still ahead of you. And that God isn't done with you yet. God's going to use you in an awesome way. Listen to me. We're going to get through this. We're going to be better because of it. Things are going to be different, but they're going to be better in Jesus' name. God is going to raise up America. He's going to raise up the economy. And I believe in in Jesus' name, there's going to be a spiritual awakening that's going to hit the earth that we've never seen before. Get ready, church. Our best days are ahead of us. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says that if the axe is dull, it requires more strength. But if you'll sharpen that axe, you'll get a lot more things done. I pray that this will be a season for oceans and all those that are watching, that we're not going to be dull watching Netflix all day. We're going to sharpen our axe, we're going to read our Bibles, and we're going to get ready to do some spiritual fishing when this thing's all, all finished up. I love you guys so much. We'll be back next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.